If you can turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went, and they came into an harlot's house named Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho said unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that have come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they have come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out, whither the men went, I want not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and hid them with stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them, after them to the way of Jordan, unto the fjords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them on the roof, and she said unto them, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water in the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were, that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven and above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray thee, swear unto me by the Lord, since I've showed kindness, since I've shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token and that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brethren and my sisters, and, that all, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the man answered her, Our life for yours, if you utter not this business, this our business. And it shall be, when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. And she let them down by a cord through the window, and the house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide himself, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned. And afterwards, afterwards may ye go your way. And the man said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother, thy brethren and all thy father's household <clears throat> home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thine house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we be guiltless. 
And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. And send them away, and they departed. And she bound a scarlet line in the window. And they went and came unto the mountain, and abode there three days, until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, passed over, and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and told them all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our, our hands all the land, even all the inhabitants of the country, do faint because of us. Let us pray before we continue. Heavenly Father, again we, we come before thee, Lord. We look at your wondrous history that you have brought forth throughout the ages, Lord. And we thank you that we have it, that it's recorded for us, and that we can learn from it, Father. Help us to be, me to be guided by your spirit, Lord. And above all, Lord, that your word in all of our lives would have that a free course to convict us, to correct us, and to praise you for all things that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. So the last chapter, we had noticed that uh, Joshua was eager to possess the land. He had given, uh, been given promises by God at the commencements of his, um, of his new ministry. And also, he got a, a great encouragement from the people. The people said, as we have hearkened unto Moses in all things, of course, this was a new generation, right? Because the last generations didn't. But they said, so we will hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee, as he was with Moses. So with those encouragement um, that God had given him, he started out his ministry. And with many great promises. And as we see here in verse 1, he starts out by sending the two spies into the land, and especially to the city of Jericho, that great pagan bulwark of a city full of Canaanites with their pagan deities and their pagan religion. Now, some have been a little bit critical of Joshua, kind of saying, well, didn't he have promises? Didn't he just get a bunch that the land would be his and, and no one would go against him? Why did he needed yet another two spies to be sent out. You remember the last time when spies were sent out, it was a, it was a bad situation. The ten came back and they had um, brought a lot of um, doubt within the congregation and it caused them 40 years of grief. So was there a lack of judgment in, uh, in, um, in Joshua? For sure, the outcome was for sure, but the Lord had not given him specific details on what to do and where to go. Now as a wise general, he would use his skill, he would use his prudence and go ahead and by faith conquer what was already his. It would have been foolish for him with all the children and the women just to go willy-nilly in the country without... Um, being properly prepared. And that counts for us the same way. 
Uh, we are given many great promises. We have a glorious outcome uh, laid out for us, but we do, as we travel to the celestial city, as it were, we are expected to use the means and skills that God has given us, always guided by his word, of course. Prudence and labor with trust in our sovereign God is not only permitted, it is our duty. The city of Jericho would be the first one they would encounter as they crossed the river. Some more information was needed. They couldn't do a quick Google how, how things are looking down there. So he needed more insight. Matthew Henry writes in this, Faith in God's promise ought not to supersede, but encourage our diligence in the use of proper means. Joshua was sure that his God was with him, yet he sends two men before him. We do not trust God, but tempt him if our expectations slacken in our industry, in our industry or endeavors. So he sends out the two spies secretly, meaning he did not tell the rest of the congregation. Uh, the last time they came back and spread a bad report, so he, he is wise that way too, in, in case a bad re report would come back once again, and an, an exaggerated message would come to the people and it would sow discord. You see that they're arriving by night, careful not to be seen, and they're acting wisely. And as soon as they're in the city, these two spies find themselves in the house of Rahab, a prostitute. Some say may have been a, a temple prostitute, as you had in those days. That is uncertain. It could have been a regular lady of the night that had her business there among all the travelers. This lady with a dark past, had a dark past. She was laden with sin and corruption, as were her customers. So they picked a place, probably a good place to hide, would be less obvious as men would often go in and out of that place. Perhaps it is thought that she also had a bit of an inn on the side, so it would be more difficult, or so they thought, to be detected. Also, it would be a good place for information. There would be travelers there, um, the lady um, would know information about the city, and maybe she could, they could extract some information from her. Of course, we have no reason to surmise that they were there for any other reasons or evil intentions, as we see as the story unfolds. In the end, of course, it was God that sends them there, who directs the steps to this woman that turns out to be a woman of great faith. And yet, she had a tricky past or a tricky, perhaps even a present vocation. She was notorious. But as we shall see in a bit, God had directed them to their house and it would be mercy for both parties, for the woman and for these two men. Some have tried to say that she was merely an innkeeper some of the Jewish commentators kind of try to clean up their heritage, perhaps, and say, well, it's just a word for innkeeper. But that is clearly not the case, especially in the light of the New Testament, both in Hebrews and James. They mention Rahab, the harlot, Hebrews 11:31. By faith, the harlot Rahab 
perished not with them that believed not, whence he received the spies with peace. And you can imagine the surprise of the spies that they were received with such kindness, care, and hospitality. Little would they have imagined that this quick-thinking Canaanite pagan harlot, no less, would be an instrument in the saving of their lives by God, and that God was work in the citadel of evil and wickedness. Indeed, they could say with the psalmist, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighted in his way. Both spiritual blessings that come on our path and temporal blessings of, of work and money and so on are from God, and he directs our steps with precision. They could encourage themselves also in the words that were spoken earlier to Joshua and they saw now come to fruition. And the Lord, he is that is goes before thee. He shall be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Well, Espionaz was a serious, tricky business, but the Lord had gone ahead of them. And he can raise up people to help you and us in very unlikely places. And people in places that we would never expect to get help from. It is his kind providence that leads them to her house in the end. Notice in verse 2 that it didn't take very long, but the spies were noticed. Maybe they weren't very good at their job, but also uh, you can imagine that the city was prepared for this invasion. Twelve miles down the road, there was this huge camp of Israelites sitting across the river. No doubt everybody was on high alert. And they have been noticed. And the king was told about their presence in the city. Possible intruders. We'll skip to verse 6 for a bit. We see that she had hidden them under the flax on top of her roof. Uh, she acted rather quickly, sensing the danger that they were in. Perhaps the two already sensed by the looks of people that they had been discovered. Flax would be used in the production of linen, and it was dried on the rooftops, so she buried them underneath it. So now, in verse two there, she's being asked about the whereabouts of these spies. You notice that she does not deny that they were there. She told them that they already left. It was getting dark, the gate was getting closed. Um, she, uh, she said they, they went that way, you better be quick and go after them. Now, that obviously was a lie that she told. Seemingly, with ease and fairly convincingly, the, you notice that the local FBI doesn't even go like, well, no, we heard they went in there, let us search the house. They didn't even do that. So she deceived them quite well. And of course, the Lord controls the hearts and the minds of every man and blinds the eyes or minds of whosoever he sees fit. 
So what are we to do with that? Scripture speaks so highly of her. And lying is against the law of God. It's repeated um, by the Apostle Paul to lie not to one another. Uh, Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. Colossians 3, 9, lie not to one another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Notice, first of all, that the deception of Rahab here is not the main point of the chapter, nor is it ever negatively brought up against her here or later. The Bible praises her for hiding these two spies and sending them out later again, but not for, for lying. The writer doesn't, like as, as I said, the writer doesn't write about it in a positive way or in a negative way. He simply records what happened, although it showed great courage on her part, of course. Think of what James writes of her in James chapter 2, 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. <clears throat> Yea, see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? It's amazing that the great father of faith, Abraham, is mentioned so quickly with Rahab, the prostitute, in the same faith. And out of all the people that James could have picked, he picked Rahab, and he does not bring up her lie. The Holy Spirit remembers her great faith, which she showed when she did her works of hiding the spies. Remember also that this lady was a Canaanite. She was pagan. And whether she was still a prostitute or not, um, we, can, we can argue on that. Uh, she did not have that type of teaching that the Israelites or that you and I would have had. Lying would have come very natural to her as it is to everyone. Also remember that she was in a situation where she had to choose rather quickly between, in her mind, between two evils, either betray these two spies from Israel or tell the truth and possibly risk their lives and also hers. So she chooses the lesser of these two evils and tries to save the life of the spies. Came on short notice as well, and it is sort of in a, in a war-type situation. How would you fare if your life would depend on it, if you have to tell the truth or not? Or if you would be responsible for someone else's life, and you'd have to lie and your life would be safe. Some of the theologians said, well, she lied for the glory of God. Others said, most of the older commentaries say that she lied, and, and lying is never right. And lying is against the law of God, even in, 
in this situation. And it is not recorded for us to show God's approval of it. But let us careful to condemn her or to approve the lie itself. But let us pray that we may be uh, let from that temptation. And with the Lord Jesus, where he says, lead us not into temptation, that we don't come in similar situations. Ralph David, Davis, in his commentary on this, he says, yes, it was a lie, but in it and through it and around it was a heart of faith. She did have faith. She may not even have understood the word faith, but she did have it, as it shows by the works and later on her confession. In verse seven, see that her. In verse seven, we see that the deception worked. The police go out into another place, and um, they go towards the direction of where Israel is across the Jordan. It would be the most likely way they would have gone. <clears throat> And the city gates were now shut. So the spies are now trapped inside the city. And before they go to bed, verse 8, that evening, she comes to them and she says something that should be really, this, this chapter should be really known for. That is her great declaration of faith in the God of Israel. And securing herself and her family from the wrath that is to befall the city. To quote Ralph Davis again, this is the real meat of the narrative. Here is where we want to focus on. The faith and fear she had in God and what an unusual candidate she was. Notice in verse 9, and she said unto the man, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. She says that she knows, she knows Jehovah has given you this land. She knows. She has carefully come to recognize this, recognize this to perceive it. A real sense of assurance that God was going to give it to them. The word knows, indicating not just a casual guess or, or well, it's probably going to happen, but an intimate personal knowledge and conviction that it would happen. Now, that's quite something if you think about it. I'm sure that Moses would have been very happy to once in a while hear this from the people who would often murmur, even though they were close and personal to the to the miracles of God, how often they still doubted. And how often did he rebuke them for it? And of course, it, it cost them many years of grief as they were for 40 years in the desert. And most of them died. <clears throat> Reminds me of the story in, in Matthew 8 of the centurion who had a great faith and his daughter was um, sick. And he said, to the Lord Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus said, I will come and heal him, or his son, I will come and heal him. He said, no, you just have to speak, and he'll be healed. What did the Lord Jesus say? Very, verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. Then, 
Ray Eptel's despised information that is most useful for them and most important for them. That the whole city was gripped in fear. Their hearts, their minds were overwhelmed with a paralyzing sense of dread. These once fierce and violent warriors, strong guys, had melted like chocolate on a hot day. Their strength was gone. Even a good sense of planning ahead, of planning how to fight, was absent. Notice the language in verse 9. Your terror is fallen upon us. Your terror is fallen upon us. All the inhabitants were faint. Speaks about of their hearts melting that there was no courage left in any of them. Now, it would have even become more clear to despise why God had directed them to this house of this woman. Not only was she more courageous than any man in town, she also showed them kindness and saved their lives and had good information for them. And the Lord had started to work a work of grace in her own life. How had she come to know this assurance that the Lord would give them the land? She had no written word of God. There was no prophet, no local evangelist to warn her. But she would have heard it from traders, perhaps. People visiting the city made use of her services. And the king itself, of course was aware of what's going on in archaeology. There are some letters, um, I think they're in a British museum somewhere, that uh, the local, before Israel came into the country, the local kings wrote letters to Egypt asking for help of the coming invasion of Israel. Israel was a well-known place, and news had traveled rather fast. And she based her faith in history. She had looked at the acts of God that he had recently done when the kings of Shihon and Ach were destroyed, their goods were taken, their countries were shattered, verse 10. And she recalled and believed the miracle of the passing of Israel through the Red Sea. When the sea was dried up, it was a, a great event. The greatest leader of the known world, Pharaoh, had perished in all his army, all his fancy chariots, the pride of the nation, his horses, was a great sign of confidence and strength, were wiped out in just a few moments. You bet it had traveled around. The surrounding nations and Canaan had not understood that these were just cunningly devised fables. They believed them. Hence, there was dread in their hearts. And what encouragement it must have been to despise that this place was already defeated. They had a defeated spirit amongst them. Not only had the works of God in the past done great things for themselves, you know, they were they were told to remember it. They had feasts commemorating these events and uh, so they could receive strength from it on an ongoing basis. Um, when they recalled it and they meditated on it, as, late, as David would write many times, to meditate upon the, 
the works of God in the past, in history, in creation, in providence. But now they saw those works still having a residual effect in Jericho. Most importantly, God had gone ahead of them and had brought these people in a state of despair. What a boost of faith it must have been at first in particular. They would be looking if the city was armed. How was the mentality of the people? How eager were they to fight? Where are the chariots? What's the best place to, to eat and to find wells? How many horses do they have? But Rahab tells them a gospel, kind of good news, that the enemy was already defeated and that God had disarmed this enemy by the works that he had done in the past. The Lord had been working behind the lines, creating fear in them and faith in Rahab. Of course, this was predicted in Exodus 15.15. says, Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed, the mighty men of Moab trembling, and all the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. It was predicted that this would happen. Verse 11, and as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. Look at the last parts of that verse. Is there any doubt that this woman has a faith, a personal faith in God? You wouldn't hear this from a pagan. Pagans had many gods, many deities they worshipped. And the idea of the one true God was uh, abhorrent to them. See, it come to understand, as every sinner must be, that there is but one God in heaven who reigns, who rules over every nation, who does what he pleases, who judges, who is the judge of all. So he must be omnipotent and omnipresent. And that there is... A judgment to come. She does not speak about adding this God to her already existence, multi multiplicity of gods, but she speaks the language of exclusivity and that there is only one and true God. By saying this, she does away with all those deities of Canaan and all the deities that will be found in the temple. She believed the promises concerning the land. And if that was to come to pass, there must be a God in heaven and earth who rules over all. By looking what God has done in the past, he could find no other explanation than to say the God of Israel is the only true God. By this and the rest of her statement, she shows herself to be a believer, maybe a very young believer. And by the works, as James and Hebrews point out, as he did earlier, she showed herself having the presence of faith. Then in verse 11 and 12, she intercedes on behalf of her family <clears throat> that they might be spared from the wrath of God as well. It's a great sign. If we have real faith, if we have escaped 
the wrath of God through Christ that we are concerned about our families. We are worried about our neighbors, our friends. We warn them. It doesn't bode well for us if there is not a stitch of concern for those that are lost around us, particular to our families. When we know of the remedy of God, <clears throat> do we not warn them? Do we not pray for them that are still without the Savior? How often do we need to pray for true love for the lost, isn't it? To have a true concern for them. Not just a concern, but that we actively tell them about the Savior and his redeeming work. She now boldly asked that her family would be rescued as well. She doesn't even mention herself, actually, in this, but assumingly she'll be there. And she does remind them of the act that she had done to them and makes them swear by the one true God, knowing that these God-fearing spies would honor it. Again, showing her faith. As Noah prepared the ark to escape the wrath of God, so in saving his family, she is diligently seeking salvation temporal salvation for the rest we don't know if they're believers or not for her house and to this the spies agreed and make a covenant with her and that they would deal kindly with her and with her house provided that she did not tell what business they had been in and they repeat that a few times it was for their safety of course but for hers as well and that she would bind that scarlet rope through the window of her house. She had to continue to live out her faith that she had proclaimed. She does not only believe in God, but also seeks to be rescued from him as well, knowing the city is about to be destroyed. Saving faith does not merely acknowledge the existence of God, but truly believes in what he says. And now she seeks to be rescued from God and wants to be associated with the people of God and obey him in the way that was appointed to her for escape. The red cord through the window would remind the spies, no doubt, of the Passover back in Egypt. Now, we don't know how young these guys were, but very likely they would not uh, remember this, but they would have been told as that account was repeated, it was celebrated the Passover when a lamb without blemish was slaughtered and the blood was applied to the doorpost of their homes and everyone in the home was safe thus of course pointing to the greatest sacrifice, <clears throat> the Lord Jesus Christ but the spies did tell her, everyone not in the house we are not responsible for, their blood will be on their head but if anything happens to those in the house, by chance, if the Israelite army does something, that will be on our house. Her house will become a mini ark. Outside, there will be destruction and a massive uh, falling of this mighty city. But inside, there was, in the one house, there was safety. There would be redemption for her and her family. And notice, too, how she further instructs the spies. <clears throat> 
as to where to go and how long to stay. She, probably, she properly takes care of the people and she treats them as her own. And she helps them further in the way of, of safety. She lowers them down by that rope, which was another risky behavior, of course, right? You've, uh, you see someone dangling down, uh, going outside the city wall. It was another step of faith. You can really see she acted in what Ruth later would say, that your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. James said, likewise, also, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? It's another indication that the Lord directed them to this house because it wasn't on the wall and it was a great way to escape from the house. And when they had left, she wastes no time and binds that token, that scarlet rope, sign of that covenant. She hangs them out the window. Not that that was the object of her faith, but it was a sign of the trust she had in God, in, of the, the God of the two spies. Now it's been noted by some commentators that even though Rahab is called a harlot prostitute, based on her statement of faith, and her works that she showed here, <clears throat> it may have been that she already had given up this profession for some time. And that she was just still known by that name for many years, even in the New Testament. And, um, but that she already she had given up that occupation, although we cannot be certain. But it would make sense if you um, read her declaration of faith. She knew the wrath was coming, and this court was a remembrance. Every time she would look at it, between now and Israel coming into the land, that redemption of that redemption that was to come. Something that the scarlet robe previously had been used as an advertising for her business, and now it showed as a great sign of faith in God, perhaps, and when Jericho fell and was utterly destroyed, every man and woman, young person and old person, Rahab was saved alive and her household. And she would live there with the Israelites afterwards. What a testimony. What a testimony of the grace of God, isn't it? Here, a Canaanite one of the chief enemies of God prostitute and here she is put together in that great chapter of Hebrew chapter 11 where all the other heroes were Abel and Noah Jacob and Moses and Joseph all the ones we read so much about what an unexpected turn was that in her life later we find her in Matthew 1.5 as the mother of Boab, the great-great-grandfather of David in the, in the genealogy of Christ the Redeemer. Originally, she was a stranger to the commonwealth of Israel like Ruth was, but was grafted into the vine. Now, this can be a great source of encouragement for us. Maybe we have family members 
or friends that you know utterly lost in sin, sold out, no interest. But God is able. God is not bound by the amount or the, 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 the degree of their sinfulness. He can break those hearted sinners as he sees fit. He changed that heart of Saul, hated Christ, hated him, hated the followers of him, and made him a, a great apostle. That slave trader, Newton, great blasphemer, people were so afraid of him when he started to blaspheme that they would run even the ungodly and turn him into a great saint. <clears throat> And were you and I, if we're believers, were we not one of them as well? If you are saved this morning, can you not also speak of that great miracle that God has done in your life? Or have you kind of gotten used to it? Is it no longer a great miracle? And you look at some of this example, you go like, well, that's a great miracle. But I wasn't all that bad. If you are saved this morning, it is a great miracle. God has done you can also say with the apostle Paul that he started a good work in me and it was all of grace just like Rahab and grace would lead him home well after three days the hunters give up chasing these two spies they could not find him you know it reminds me of Saul was always looking for David, but he could never find him. Everybody else could find him, but not Saul. You know, God keeps these two spies safe in his hands. And when they come home, back to Joshua, they had heard and seen enough. It was another miracle, really, that God had disarmed Jericho already before they went. He had gone before them. He guides his people with his eye, as they are the apple of his eye, as Moses put it. He watches them over, he watches over them for their good. He provides for them. He guides them and directs them. When they returned to Joshua with this good news, it was quite different from 40 years ago. And they told Joshua all that had befallen on them. And that the promises of that first chapter had come through already. As they had now seen with their own eyes. <clears throat> and how God is ever faithful to his people and to his covenant. And that he is on the throne. He reigns. He's just not hoping for the best. He reigns. He is God. They saw it with their own eyes. Joshua knew it. But now they had these two returning with that same message. What an encouragement it would have been to those that are about to cross the Jordan. Rahab would survive the coming judgment from God. And of course, they told her about Rahab. That one pearl in a, in a great city filled with hard rocks. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. She believed the message that destruction was coming. She arranged her household. Yes, her sin were like scarlet. And she would become the great symbol of all who 
who place their trust and faith in that wrath-absorbing work of Christ on the cross. He had nothing to offer. He was a sinner by birth, came from a bad nation, had a bad vocation, and showing that he had a bad heart. And is this not a great invitation for all of us to go to him that can wash us and make us clean, that can make us perfect in the beloved. He who has the Son has life, and he who has not the Son hath not life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I'll end with Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we sit here this morning and look at the, the great chains of life that Rahab had, Father, she is, like all of us, a great sinner. Father, we thank you that you redeem great sinners. Lord, help us to uh, be always amazed by the work that you've done in our life. Lord, that we would be overflowing with thankfulness. Lord, and if we're not, Lord, we're not saved. Lord, we're yet outside the safety zone, Lord, with the wrath of God abiding on us, that you would cause us to flee to him that took our place. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his blood that cleanses us from all sin. <clears throat> we thank you that in him we stand righteous before you. Father, help us to rejoice in him this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.